in the fact that she decided she was going to take control of the situation to the best of her ability because you know she couldn't control the circumstances she lived within but she could control how she responded to them. Do you think you'll ever be done with this? I mean, as you say, girlhood, it's a huge topic. I hope not, because there will always be future generations of girls. I mean, eventually I feel like I will age off and age out of this space and hand the baton over to some young people to, to do the work of telling girls stories or giving them spaces to tell their stories. But I hope the work never ends. I'm Sarah Fetsky. This is St. Louis on the Air. Years ago, The Washington Post's platform The Lily began publishing a series that felt like something brand new. Girlhood Around the World gave a voice to teens from Cambodia to Sweden to, yes, the U.S. It showed us their bedrooms and let us read their diaries without filtering their stories through a reporter's eyes. Now the portraits in the online series are a book. It includes diary excerpts from many more girls in many more countries, 30 girls and 27 nations. Girlhood, teens around the world in their own voices, is the subject of a Facebook event sponsored by the St. Louis County Library next Thursday. And joining us today to tell us more about it is its author, Masuma Ahuja. Masuma, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So, Masuma, the 30 girls we meet in your book really run the gamut from a Shawn Mendes superfan in Ireland to a 16-year-old nomadic herder in Mongolia. Of all the stories across the world, how did you settle on this group of 30? I really didn't have any particular idea in mind of, you know, I want a girl who looks like this or that. I knew that there was no way in which I could pick 30 girls who would represent every version of girlhood in the world because there's hundreds of millions of teenage girls in the world, but I knew I wanted a collection of girls who had a diverse range of experiences, who lived in different places, whose lives looked different, who had different identities, whose day-to-days looked different, and then I let the girls kind of drive it, where I looked for girls who were interested in sharing their stories and felt comfortable putting pieces of their lives into a book for us. So a diary can be so personal, and as teenagers, so many of us are so self-conscious. Was it hard to get the girls on board? Not really. So I was always upfront about the fact that we would only include things that they wanted to include. They're the boss here where they get to decide how they're represented and what is what is shared about them. And I was very conscious as an adult here that like this is going to live for much longer than, you know, the 30 seconds they might think of putting something up on Instagram or on Snapchat. So we had lots of conversations also about, hey, this is something you wrote today about something happening in your life. How are you going to feel about this in two years or in 25 years when this is still out there? And we made sure that all the girls were very much on board with sharing the pieces of their lives that they did. I thought it was a smart thing that you didn't give us their last names. That way, if if a future employer Googles them, this isn't going to be the first thing that comes up. Right. It it felt like a little bit of a, you know, everyone says that like what's face put, put, posted on Facebook follows you around for the rest of your life. But mm-hmm. this feels even more where like your, the pages of your diary should not be the first thing that comes up when someone looks you up 30 years into the future. Yeah. So these girls had a little room to share their true selves. And I'm sure their friends and family knew it was them, but it's not necessarily going to haunt them. seems like some of them really did open up. I'm thinking of uh, Shanai, who lives in the U.S. I hope I pronounced that right. She was telling about her boyfriend and just how into him she was. And then a couple days later, in sort of that classic change, she's over him. She ended up dumping right. him. Yeah, Shanae was actually, it was interesting where she was one of the girls who came back to me and said, 
I'm, I'm not going to write any like new diary entries for you. I'm just going to take photos of my journal. Is it okay if I share things about this boy I'm dating who I've broken up with? And it, it was kind of wonderful where she decided that was the piece of her life that she wanted to share with us. Um, and it's also wonderful where she shared that. And then on the other side of it, she included a gratitude journal of like things she was grateful for every day. So you got to see both sides of her life, where one was this roller coaster of emotions she was going through, and the other side was like the small gratitudes that filled her days. Hmm. So Shanae, she's in the Bronx. The other girl you featured, who's an American girl, this is someone who, at the time she wrote this diary, lived right here in St. Louis. Uh, her name is Sophie. And she was part of this original series you did for the Washington Post, The Lily. Uh, what made you pick a St. Louis girl to sort of stand in for the U.S.? I mean, I so one thing I was very conscious of is like, I hope no girl feels the pressure that she's like representing her country because that is a heavy weight to put on anyone's Too shoulders, much weight, let for alone sure. a 16-year-old. <laughs> with, with Sophie, it's actually funny where I met her through a friend of mine who used to babysit her um, mm. when she was a kid. And Sophie now is a, I think she's a freshman, she's a freshman at the University of Missouri. And, you know, she's like, we, we get to kind of watch her grow up a little bit through her high school years. And um, she's going to be at the event next week. And with Sophie, it was, again, she was just someone who likes to write and wanted to share her life with us and was very open about it. Her parents were on board with it. That was the thing I was very conscious of because I just wanted to make sure that the girls were okay with it. Their families were okay with it. It wasn't going to be a problem in their communities because there's no like hitting delete once a book is out in the world. Yeah, and Sophie wrote very frankly about the fact that she had dealt with mental illness. Um, it, and her parents, you say, they had no problem with this. They, they were happy to help her break that stigma. Yes, it was, it was a lot of the girls write about a lot of the stigmas that a lot of things that we, we tend to see as stigmatized and that are just real parts of their lives. And I really wanted to give them the space to do that and for them to own own the sides of their lives that don't get talked about generally in public and make girls everywhere feel really alone in what they're dealing with because they don't see it represented anywhere. But, you know, if another girl somewhere in the U.S. or somewhere else in the world reads Sophie's words and realizes she's not the only one, maybe that can be something that helps her. You know, and I loved seeing their bedrooms. It's such a window into their world. I was so fascinated by it. It really took me back to my own childhood bedroom. And there's such a, a contrast between the girls that are living in affluence and, and some of the girls who are living in much different conditions. Were some of the girls that were more in, in a shanty town or a slum, were they self-conscious about letting us all see their living environments? I don't think so. I mean, I, I asked the same questions of every girl. And I tried to, sometimes I would get an answer back, which was more so, you know, oh, oh, I don't have a bedroom of my own. Mm. I sh like I sleep on the couch. And this wasn't just from people in poorer countries. This was people also from like affluent Western countries as well. Or sometimes the girls would get back to me and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to school this month because something's going on in my family. So I can't really like take photos of school, but I'm going to show you something else. And it was... It was the fact that I was just curious about their daily lives and I let them decide again to some extent of like, hey, do you want to show me what your bedroom looks like or do you, would you rather show me, you know, where you guys have breakfast every morning or would it be cooler instead to show me where you and your friends play soccer after school and like you decide what part of your life you want to show so people got to share the things that they're proud of and excited to share with the world and excited to have other people see this as like, the place that they grow up in, and this is what like a girl's life looks like in Haiti or in Mongolia or Sweden. 
Our guest today is Masuma Ahuja. She is the author of Girlhood, Teens Around the World in Their Own Voices. This new book is is out now. It's the subject of a Facebook event sponsored by the St. Louis County Library. That's next Thursday. And if you're a parent listening to this, we do want to note this book is is appropriate uh, for kids 12 and up. Um, it's certainly something that girls can relate to. I also enjoyed it as a former girl. You may see yourself in these girls looking back 20 years. You may see yourselves in these girls today. I think it works on both levels. Masuma, the one that really struck me to my core, overall, I found so much hope in these stories. But the one that just stopped me in my tracks when I was reading uh, was Emily, who lives in Brazil. She's 19, and she's married, and she has a baby. And, And she expressed no sadness about that. There was a lot of joy in her entry. But I felt some sadness for just how settled her life was compared to the infinite possibility for so many of these other girls. Around the world, how big an issue is teen motherhood? I mean, it is, it is a, a lot of teens around the world are mothers and teenage pregnancy does get in the way of girls pursuing further education. You know, it puts a burden on them to take care of their young families very often and is a hindrance to future opportunities. But what I loved about Emily's entries was also she was still so hopeful about, you know, she wants to become a doctor. She wants that for her daughter as well. She now has a girl of her own and she has very big dreams for her own daughter and the life that she can build for both of them. Mm-hmm. And that that's something that stayed with me because we tend to, from the outside, look at people in other places and wonder if they're defined by just the circumstances they exist within. And she was still hopeful, right? Like she had so much aspiration for what she thought the future could hold for her. Yeah, she grew up in a favela, um, and her own mother was a single mother. She wrote this passage that really struck with me. She wrote, A lot of time during my pregnancy, I thought I wouldn't be capable of taking care of my daughter. I couldn't believe I would be able to educate her, love her, take care of her the way she needed. I thought I wouldn't be able to buy all the things she would need during her life. But then she was born, and I did it because I believed I was capable. Of course, I was scared, but I did it anyways, and I can manage. I learned everything is a question about being able to control our emotional and psychological health, and everything will work out. I want to believe that so much for her. Do you think it's really that simple? I don't think it's really that simple, but I think there's a lot of power in in the fact that she decided she was going to take control of the situation to the best of her ability because, you know, she couldn't control the circumstances she lived within, but she could control how she responded to them. Mm-hmm. And there's so much power in that. Of course, Life would be very different for her if she lived somewhere else, if she had more opportunities, if she could stay in school while she was pregnant and she had a daughter. Like all of those things would make life a lot easier for her if she had other opportunities. But I take a lot of solace in the fact that there are girls like her who are faced with difficult circumstances and still manage to to tackle them head on. Hmm. You know, the other big thing I took away from this book is just how many things these girls had in common with each other. Some of them had just such different circumstances, but so many of them wrote about how much they loved to read. They wrote about their friends. They had such hope for the future. Uh, Do you think this is something where because they chose what they revealed, it, it made for stories that were more similar than if a journalist was there deciding what parts to highlight? That's part of the reason that I wrote this book and I or I put together this book and I created the series and the lily was just, I was really curious about what life looked like beyond the headlines and beyond the stories that we get to watch on the news or hear about on the radio or, or read online in newspapers is, you know, we tend to get the headlines of horror and the most awful things that are happening in different places. And we never get to sit with people in the ordinary moments of their lives and 
life looks like life everywhere, right? People have friends and they get into fights with their friends and they also at the same time have big dreams and you know they have family drama or they have hobbies that are very similar. Like one of the girls in the book, Halima, who's from Mazari Sharif, Afghanistan, she loves Celine Dion, which is not a thing I would have ever expected to hear. <laughs> A kid and, you know, her belting out my heart will go on is the thing that I relate to from my teenagers a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot that's similar if we ask those questions and we tend to focus on what's different, which is why we never get to hear about all the ordinary similar stuff about life everywhere. I also thought it was so charming. You had just a little footnote there where you mentioned that one of the girls, I think this was the one in Baghdad, that she started texting you instead of sending you diary pages. Did you get to know some of these girls pretty well? Yeah, with her, it was really funny where I tried really hard. They, all the girls got the same set of instructions from me in whatever language they spoke, explaining you know what, what I was looking for, and we went back and forth after that. And this girl, just she would message me every evening, and I'd say, oh, do you want to just write this down and send it to me at the end of the week so I don't respond immediately, and this isn't supposed to be a two-way conversation? She just couldn't understand why I wouldn't want to respond to her. So... <laughs> I did. Like, I, of course, I wanted to respond to her. And with some of the girls, the ones who I could get in touch with directly and have stayed in contact with, um, I've gotten to know them. And it's been really wonderful to watch them grow up because the entries they wrote were from early 2019. So it's now two years later, and it's been wonderful to watch them grow up in a sense. So in just our our final couple of minutes here, I do want to mention uh, you started your career at The Washington Post, and then you ended up also working at CNN before you became a freelancer. And it seems like in both positions, you were kind of the young person who helped old people reach younger people. How do you end up scoring a gig like that and kind of becoming the young person whisperer for an older newsroom? (laughs) I don't think it was ever intentional. It was just I was the young person in the room and no one really understood what I was supposed to be doing and no one really understood what the young people were doing. Um, (laughs) And I was always the person who came into the room. Like I remember in 2014 walking into a room at the post and saying, hey, we're going to be on Snapchat. And everyone in their 60s looked at me just like, where did she come from? What is this? (laughs) Were they willing to go on Snapchat? I mean, I remember at the time we thought it was only for sexting. And and here you're telling a 60-year-old man, please join me on Snapchat. It was actually really wonderful where one of the Post's first converts was this veteran reporter who, you know, has covered like decades of politics in D.C. And he was in Snapchat and we became Snapchat friends and we used to snap each other. And he was an evangelist in part because he had younger people in his family who were on Snapchat who he could snap with. But it was always a matter of just like getting back to the core principles of you want to talk to people, you got to go to people where they are. Like we all mm. speak the same language, even if it's on a different app or platform. And this is just a different way of communicating with people. Boy, that's a hard argument to have with old journalists, but it sounds like you won some of those battles. So so props to you. I do also want to know, uh, mention you announced last fall that you plan to launch a girl-focused media startup. What are your plans there? Yeah, so after this book was completed, um, I finished reporting it in 2019. I realized I had a hard drive full of stories and so much more out there than one book could ever encompass. So I'm right now... In the early stages of launching, I have a pilot going where one arm of this venture is going to be focused on storytelling workshops for girls around the world, girl being a very inclusive term here, but giving girls the tools to tell their own stories. And then the other side of that, mentoring girls and workshopping their work with them and really like cultivating their talent and giving them a platform to publish their work. So we get to hear more about 
what life looks like for girls around the world in their own voices. So if people are interested in finding out more about that venture and kind of keeping an eye on it as, as you continue to launch, where would you send them for that? Girlhoodstories.com. Girlhoodstories.com. That's great. And so that really builds on the work of this book. Yeah, I, I just didn't feel done. You know, 30 stories is definitely a beginning, but it feels far from an ending. Do you think you'll ever be done with this? I mean, as you say, girlhood, it's a huge topic. I hope not, because there will always be future generations of girls. I mean, eventually, I feel like I will age off and age out of this space and hand the baton over to some young people to, to do the work of telling girls stories or giving them spaces to tell their stories. But I hope the work never ends. So uh, this book, this is Girlhood, Teens Around the World in Their Own Voices. You're going to be on this Facebook event. This is uh, next week at the St. Louis County Library. That's uh, February 18th at 7 p.m. What will you be discussing at that event? We'll be talking about the book, and one of the girls from the book, Sophie, who's also from St. Louis, will be joining me as well. And we'll be talking about what girls' lives look like around the world and what Sophie's life looks like and what's changed for her since she wrote these diary entries for the book. Oh, that's so cool. I, now I want to tune into this. Having read about Sophie three years ago, I'm like, what is she up to now? So this is going to be a great update for people who remember that series from The Lily. And for those who don't, we encourage you to get this book. Again, that's Girlhood, Teens Around the World in Their Own Voices. Masuma Ahuja, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And we have all sorts of information about that event that's on our website, stlpublicradio.org. You can also find that on the St. Louis County Library's website. And again, that's going to be Thursday, February 18th at 7 p.m. It is free to join. Uh, let the girl in your life know or the former girl in your life know. This is one they may want to tune into. More reporting from the St. Louis on the Air team is available at stlpublicradio.org. And be sure never to miss a conversation by subscribing to our podcast. You can find St. Louis on the Air on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts on the App Store. St. Louis on the Air is produced by Evie Hempel, Lara Hamden, Emily Woodbury, and Alex Hoyer. The audio engineer is Aaron Dorr. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Sarah Fenske. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.